0: Welcome to Infosecurity Magazine's monthly podcast, bringing you news highlights, topical debate, and expert interviews from the information and cybersecurity world. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this July episode of the Info Security Magazine podcast. As always, my name is Beth Mondrell, and for this episode, I am joined by our news reporter, Kevin Poirot. So, thanks for joining me, Kevin. We have a bit of a bumper edition for our listeners this month as we take a deep dive into the Move It hack that has swept the cybersecurity community over the past few weeks. And we'll be speaking to three experts about the incident. But before that, and before we dive into our episode, first a note from our podcast sponsor. Tired of cybersecurity mega conferences? Mandiant's MY's conference is different. With fresh voices, unique knowledge, a focus agenda, and targeted problem solving, Wise is where security's best go to get better. From September 18th to the 20th in Washington, D.C., you'll join a special community of security's sharpest minds. Get the chance to have first-hand exchanges with top practitioners, hear the perspectives you might not get elsewhere, and reach a new level of mastery that will prepare you for what's next. Register early and save at Mys.mandiant.com forward slash c o n f 23. So, in this episode, we wanted to give you everything from the high level what should CISOs be doing to respond to the move it hack and also the details from the threat intelligence specialists about the ransomware gang how the breach happened and what data has been targeted. And with that, myself and Kevin have spoken to, as I said, three experts. So I'll introduce them now, what they're going to be talking about. And then, Kevin, you can give us a little bit of context about the move at Hack itself. So first, we'll be hearing from Rave Pilling. He is a director of threat research at SecureWorks Counter Threat Unit. And he's going to be talking a little bit about how SecureWorks first identified evidence of the MoveIt supply chain attack, the TTPs used by the Klopp ransomware gang, and the response of MoveIt owner Progress. So that's the the software owner. Then we're going to hear from William Thomas. He's a CTI researcher at Equinix Threat Analysis Center and co founder of Curated Intelligence. And he's going to touch on how Klopp, once again, GAIN has preferred using data exfiltration to encryption and why this attack has had such a significant impact across the world. And then finally, we're going to hear from a friend of the magazine, Paul Watts. Um, He's a distinguished analyst at the Information Security Forum and he's also been in a number of CISO roles previously and he's going to talk a little bit about how companies should respond to this kind of incident how to ensure you have an incident response plan uh, that's fit for purpose and why in this Move It incident, cybersecurity has not necessarily fallen short. So loads to look forward to from our guest speakers. But before we dive into those then, Kevin, a little bit of context rundown of the Move It hack where we are now. We're recording at the end of June, and this is an evolving Incident. So there will be a lot more that changes post record. But what we know now.
1: Sure. So what is now commonly called as the move it attack is a supply chain attack where threat actors have exploited a zero day vulnerability in move it transfer. So move it transfer is a file transfer solution developed by the US company Progress. And it's used by thousands of companies across the world. It's one of the biggest fire transfer solutions in the corporate world. Progress, on the on the 31st of May, Progress has released a patch and public, published a security advisory. And the, the, the days after that, various cybersecurity firms have started publishing analysis about the, the hack. On the second of June, Microsoft started uh, attributing the attack to the Clop ransomware group, which is very famous in in the threat intelligence community. And Clop um, themselves claimed the attack on the fifth and start and and started uh, via a ransom note on their league site to um, to drop some names of uh, potential victims or alleged victims. As far as we know now, there are over a hundred known victims and counting across different countries including big names such as British Airways, the BBC and Sony and also two of the big four accounting firms EY and PWC and also a large number of government agencies have, have been hit even though CLOP has said that they have deleted their data, deleted any data from government agencies. SecureWorks was one of the first companies to investigate the MoveIt attack, and I spoke with Rave Pilling about how they came across it and what were the findings about CLOPs, TTPs, the tactics, techniques and procedures to compromise the file transfer software. Let's hear him. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast. SecureWorks threat analysts uh, have been among uh, the first ones to uncover the MoveIt supply chain attacks. Uh, could you walk us through how you discovered it?
2: Yeah, our initial awareness, again, I guess, came through sort of uh, noticing incidents at, at some of our clients. Uh, we ha- we had customers that were uh, using the, the MoveIt solution we were impacted by the kind of wave of zero day attacks that we used in order to then steal data from the uh, the systems
1: when did you your threat analyst uh, come into play
2: it was early june maybe around the first or the second uh, that we started getting uh, questions around this we started digging into our xdr platform telemetry seeing seeing what we could see seeing what we could see in terms of impacted customers Around that time, I think Progress came out with their advisory about the the zero days that they had patched them, that there was, you know, a, a mitigation path uh, that customers could follow. So it was a case of raising awareness across our customer base about the issue um, for those customers that that had one of these solutions deployed on the network uh, to take a look at it, figure out if, if they had been impacted and to what extent, and if they needed assistance with instant response. And for those that either hadn't been impacted for some reason or or potentially had been exploited but not, uh, not had files taken yet to make sure that that was removed from the Internet uh, until such time as it could be uh, secured. So yeah, a number of different sort of strands of activity uh, that were going on, which is, is usually the case in these kinds of incidents. We're looking to identify opportunities for for protection and detection across the customer base. We're looking to sort of inform and reinsure uh, customers and we're looking to sort of identify uh, any sort of follow-on activity that might, might occur after that initial exploitation. Talking
1: uh, about uh, the, um, the vulnerabilities and the zero days, as you mentioned, uh, what were the groups tactics, techniques, and procedures? How did they compromise the the, the tool, the Move It tool? How did, did they get into all these companies' systems?
2: So they used, um, and this is, this is sort of an interesting pattern that they have repeated a number of times now since sort of late 2020, but in this case they used initially a sort of a SQL injection attack plus some additional, I think some additional things um, on the uh, on the server itself. But the the SQL injection attack was used to deploy a web shell. The web shell then gave the threat actors access to uh, perform additional functionality, which primarily focused around going through the files that were stored on the individual file servers and um, and exfiltrating them from the, the sort of backend databases to their sort of remote site. At that point, I guess they go through the process of kind of triaging the the victim data and and start sort of lining things up for for publication to their to their leak site in the beginning it wasn't initially clear who was behind this but i guess very quickly as details sort of started to emerge it, it did fit this pattern of activity that we'd seen with the the clop group in the past and another kind of these sort of smash and grab uh, attacks that had uh, resulted in a significant number of companies having data leaked through the the clop leak site And what exactly is
1: a SQL injection attack and could it have been prevented, avoided?
2: So a SQL injection attack is a long-standing class of attack against sort of database-backed systems. Where you figure out a way of getting past uh, any sort of upper layers of defenses in in the application and getting the application to take a a, a structured query language, SQL command and then run that on the backend database. now in in theory, uh, you you wouldn't want untrusted use being able to execute these kind of queries against this type of uh, platform. and the the vulnerability in this case is the fact that 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 was possible. This class of attacks has been around for for decades. I mean in terms of can it be prevented it's one of those things that once you once you know about it it's probably relatively straightforward to prevent it systems these days are quite complex and and figuring out how to prevent these sort of attacks can be difficult all software has vulnerabilities it just takes someone to to spend some time to sort of figure out what they are and the people associated with the clop ransomware group either appear to have a team that is, is pretty good at doing this they've done it a number of times in the past for other solutions or they're they're buying vulnerabilities from from someone else for these types of platforms.
1: How many uh, organizations are allegedly being made victims so far? And um, how has the the threat actor managed to reach so many systems, so many companies?
2: It's not easy to understand how many companies have been victims of this attack. If you look at data on sort of internet survey sites like uh, Shodan or Census, you can see that there's something in the region of uh, two and a half thousand Move it servers uh, deployed around the the world. That may not be a strictly accurate number. It depends which which respond to the the kind of probes from the the internet survey services. But it's something in in that kind of ballpark. Now, it's possible that that all or most of those were exploited. It looks like the the exploitation phase and the the deployment of the web shell were probably automated. However, the follow-on phase where the threat actors went in and exfiltrated data was probably human-driven. So we have had, from the instance we've seen, most of them have had data exfil, but at least one of them doesn't appear to have have had data taken. And potentially this is just due to a a limitation on the threat actor side in terms of people they have available to to take data from these systems. So a lot of companies that had the solution were probably exploited. It's possible that not all of them had data taken in terms of the leak site i think there are dozens of names have been added to the the leak site so far implying that that data was taken from those companies and they've refused to to pay any kind of extortion or ransom payment but we it is very difficult to know kind of what the the overall victim count might have been from from this sort of attack
1: if i'm not mistaken your research led you to think that the attack may come from an inner group within the the clop ransomware gang right
2: yeah it's again it's it's hard to to sort of get down to the the human level of this, but we see Clop, the Clop operation. We we track them as as Gold Tahoe. We don't see sort of the Clop ransomware side of things as being. It's often described in the public as a ransomware as a service. We we don't see it that way. We don't see it being marketed on on forums or or sold to others or having sort of large numbers of affiliates attracted to it. So it looks like they operate a relatively closed group uh, that they do partner with other sort of trusted groups. So a group we we track as Gold Niagara uh, has also been observed recently in in March 2023, deploying the CLOP ransomware. They are relatively small groups that work with a set of trusted individuals. This smash and grab approach to managed file transfer services or, or similar kind of things is a is a repeating pattern so it started out in sort of late 2020 with the attacks against the Excelion FTA solutions only this year we've seen attacks against the go anywhere uh, managed file transfer service and obviously move it in sort of late May they've also gone after things like papercut uh, which is a a print server but but kind of does a similar function you have you have a a, a server where files are received from from the internet and and stored there for a period of time. Uh, and the similarly, a uh, SolarWinds uh, serve you vulnerability was used in 2021, I think that was, in a, in a similar sort of fashion. So this smash and grab type approach is a repeating MO that we see from this group, uh, and maybe at the moment is their their preferred style of, um, of conducting these sort of attacks for extortion purposes.
1: What do you make of the response from uh, Progress, which developed the MoveIT service?
2: It's always incredibly difficult for sort of software companies in these sort of circumstances. I think they, they've responded quickly. They have been responsive to to sort of future updates. We've seen regular sort of advisories issued to new CVEs that have been discovered. It's not entirely clear to me if these are CVEs that relate to the exploitation at the end of uh, May and, and by Klopp, or if these are new things that they're discovering uh, as they kind of remediate that and look to sort of improve the security of their product. Going forward, but I think they've been, you know, responsive, um, pretty transparent. Uh, so yeah, I think they've they've done a good job.
0: Really great there to hear from Rave, who has hands-on experience with the breach from the early early incident. So with such an impact, it would really be easy to blame the owner of the compromised software. Progress. But this event shows us once again how software supply chain attacks can really spread rapidly, even when the initial victim, we know, as you said in your kind of introductory remarks there, Kevin, they responded as they should and swiftly.
1: Yeah, exactly. Progress has even uh, released two new security patches since since the first one, even though they said that uh, no evidence was was that 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 the the older vulnerabilities have been exploited but another key characteristic of this attack is that once again the club ransomware group has preferred exfiltrating data or at least threatening to do so rather than encrypting it which would be m- much more cumbersome uh, for them william thomas aka bushido token on social media is a cyber threat intelligence researcher at equinix and he also runs a GitHub repository, gathering everything we know about the hack from the beginning to until now, including research from multiple vendors. He explained to me why this attack has had such a significant impact. Let's have a listen. Great to have you on the podcast, Will. Could you explain to me what is the MoveIt attack and how has the attack evolved from when it was first observed a few weeks or months ago to how how we are now.
3: Yeah, the Move It campaign has been a massive uh, headline-generating event from sort of started around the 27th of May and has been basically keeping everyone busy all throughout June. So for the last couple of years, the the threat actors associated with the CLOP ransomware group have been sort of ditching encryption-based attacks, usually deploying ransomware. Uh, in favor of exploiting file transfer applications in mass data theft extortion campaigns. So they've been responsible for targeting similar types of applications um, as well as like that are similar to move it, uh, which includes uh, Accelion uh, file transfer appliances in December, 2020, uh, SolarWinds serve you FTP servers in November, 2021, uh, go anywhere mft servers in february 2023 and paper cut uh servers in in april 2023 so we've kind of seen a history or pattern of behavior from this threat group even before they actually launched their move it campaign if you actually look at a sort of gartner manic magic quadrant of m- managed file servers then you will see you know it's almost like clop is picking from that their targets what to go after you know because these internet exposed file transfer applications are ideal targets for a ransomware group because if you're able to find a vulnerability you can then exploit it download and steal all the files and they did it in such a way that they could hit hundreds of targets in a very short amount of time
1: we hear the name zealous in the uk and the name uh, and the, the the movement attack has been named after a service from progress uh, how are these two companies and services involved
3: Zealous is the biggest uh, name in the UK because they are basically a HR and payroll uh, service which other large companies such as British Airways, Aer Lingus, BBC, Boots and others uh, are all customers of Zealous and Zealous actually part of their service was they would use move it transfer application uh, by progress software to actually you know share files between uh, the the their customers. What the threat actors did was by compromising the Move It application, they could then access all of Zealous's data, which they would store on their clients' behalf. So it's sort of a one-to-many uh, single breach of by targeting one application, you get the data of multiple companies.
1: And why has this campaign got so much attention, so much coverage from both the cybersecurity community and the media?
3: The most interesting thing about this campaign is the breadth of companies that use move it transfer application, Um, because there's so many large organizations that relied on this software to store sensitive data and files, Uh, and transfer them between other organizations, that by exploiting hundreds of these applications, the Klopp Ransomware Group potentially stole hundreds of thousands or even millions of records uh, from various high-level, high-profile entities. You know, US government, law enforcement, Fortune 500 companies, consultancies. And the actual area of effect of this breach is so large because you have companies that would manage the data of other companies stored on these file file transfer systems. So there's so much, there's so many thousands of organizations impacted by this event. Uh, it's attracting a ton of attention because everyone is worried about whether their their data or their customers' data has been exposed.
1: And what do we know about the actual data that has been exposed and how concerning is it?
3: That's an interesting question because what the CLOP group is doing is part of their campaign as a data theft extortion campaign they will download the gigabytes and terabytes of data and actually threaten to publish it to their darknet data leak site if you don't pay the ransom so some companies have already said you know they're not going to pay the ransom which is you know good on them in a way but that does mean bot will begin or already has begun to publish those files to their.net leak site and in those files um, it is basically whatever they stole from the moveit transfer application doesn't necessarily mean that clop has gone through all of the files themselves already but they are just publishing it so anyone can download them data inside of these files is it still requires a bit of analysis of exactly what has been uh, shared but as is, the same, as is the case, usually the case with all these ransomware data leak sites, it's whatever they can steal, they will just publish. Um, you know, this can include HR and payroll data. This can include, uh, you know, customer uh, information, you know, uh, customer accounts or customer correspondence, all this kind of stuff. There hasn't been any sort of bombshell sharing of publishing of, of data at the moment. And the other thing to remember is they're uploading you know, a hundred or so gigabytes of data to a Tor data leak site, and it takes hours, even days, maybe possibly even weeks to actually download all of this and go through it all. Um, You know, it it will require a massive operation basically to actually figure out and categorize what has been leaked and and how to mitigate, uh, you know, any potential exploitation of that data
1: and you mentioned us government agencies is that confirmed that us government agencies were uh, targeted or were were suffered from like a, a data breach uh, because of this attack and is that the case in the uk as well is that the case in any other countries
3: yes pretty much any application that was exposed to the internet that clop had enough time to exploit they got the data from it so they had the ability to, they had a zero day in the application. You you, you know, even if you were running it fully patched, uh, they still could have got in. And they basically would have gone through a list of all the, all the vulnerable applications that they could target and would have hit them, you know, basically one by one or, or potentially even in an automated fashion. So that includes, you know, you know, hundreds of organizations. And in that, group of organizations who are victimized does include government agencies. There have already been disclosures from government agencies saying that they have, uh, you know, they've had data leaked. Uh, the government of Nova Scotia was the first in uh, North America to admit they had been breached. The government of Illinois had already, has also come forward and said that they were affected. But then the other interesting thing is that CLOP made a statement on their data leak site uh, specifically to say that they have deleted all government data because as financially motivated cyber criminals they are trying to distance themselves from the politics of the event you know because whenever a you know a russian speaking or a russia based ransomware group is responsible for one of these attacks on governments people are very quickly analysts some analysts analysts and journalists are very quickly to quick to point the blame on the russian government and say oh it's a it's an espionage campaign in disguise, but these criminals are you know, trying to make the case that they're only financially motivated and they don't care about politics. Uh, they just care about the money, which is quite interesting.
1: And how much can we trust them on, on that one? we've seen ransomware groups saying or vowing that they would not attack hospitals or healthcare systems in the past and then and then they did so anyway how much can we can we expect them to actually keep their promise in a way
3: that's the thing we we can't basically we can't trust these ransomware groups at all even if you do pay the ransom as a victim organization there's no no guarantee that they're actually going to delete it and there's no guarantee that it may get leaked eventually by some other means. Uh, we already saw with the Conti leaks back in February 2022, uh, a number of victims who had paid the ransom, the attack was basically disclosed anyway because uh, their names were present in the Conti leaks of the chat data. So you never, you, you pretty much, it's, it's always going to get out eventually it seems. And there's, you know, there's already a good few examples of connections between, uh, you know, Russian organized cybercrime groups and the Russian government. Uh, one of the prime examples is uh, the Evil Corp uh, threat group of two threat actors who have been indicted by the FBI on the FBI Cyber Most Wanted, and you know they have documented connections to, you know, the Russian security services. So there's no, there's no guarantee that they're actually going to delete it and. You know, they could well be just passing it off to the Russian government.
1: What were the most recent advancements or, or news around uh, what data Klopp has?
3: So, some of the more recent victims have been very large companies. So, two of the big four accounting firms, Ernst Young and uh, Coopers, EY and PWC, they have both been listed as victims on uh, Klopp's leak site. And these two companies are massive consultants for you know most of the fortune 500 or even you know the world 1000 you know these these auditing and accounting companies will have all sorts of sensitive data and account details on these massive organizations and it is extremely sensitive for for some of these companies uh, that these accounting firms have um, so if clop you know does actually eventually leak that information it could Uh, you know, caused even more issues for for some of the victim organizations. And the difficult thing is these companies will be getting overwhelmed by the number of their clients and customers asking them for information on whether their company was exposed, basically. You know, it all depends on if that victim company knows what was stolen. Um, In some cases, they may not. You know, one of the other big big victims recently listed was Sony, a massive international organization, media company. And who knows what sort of data maybe customer data maybe just sort of whatever it really depends on whatever they stored in their managed file transfer application you kind of have to think about what types of files and information are usually stored in these file transfer applications maybe they're not going to be storing customer data in those transfer applications because in theory the transfer applications are used for sending files externally so it may not be the most sensitive data, hopefully hopefully it's not, but I'm sure there will be something, uh, some bits of information that these victims definitely do not uh, want to be public.
1: And as you said, uh, it's not the first campaign from, from the Plot ransomware group. What makes this one so stand out? What makes this attack reach like so many big names, so many big companies?
3: I think it, it's definitely because uh, or one of the one of the reasons it could be is because uh, Moveit is one of the most adopted um, applications in the sort of market of all the managed file transfer applications. MoveIt's is one of the most popular. The others are, you know, GoAnywhere and Accelion, Solo Solowin, Serveview. You. you can compare this campaign more to the Excelion campaign in, in in December 2020, where. You know a, a similar large amount of high profile companies were victimized in that campaign in in the solar winds campaign uh, i don't believe as many companies were actually victimized by that and security companies were actually able to sort of intercept that campaign as well and help uh, inform customers uh, patch their systems before they were exploited and the go anywhere mft campaign is sort of similar as well where you know, a, a large number of victims were were compromised. I think that the reason this campaign has taken the media by storm so so much is is just due to the sort of public naming and shaming of multiple large companies. I guess it's it's kind of funny because it's not the first time Klopp has done it, and everyone is kind of really raising the alarm bells because this is basically their fifth campaign of of launching this, and and we basically still haven't learned our lessons, even after they've already done it four times before.
0: Great to hear that extra detail about the Klopp ransomware gang and the move it attack there from uh, William and I think now we've heard from our threat research and intelligence guys uh, it's now time to introduce our final guest um Paul Watts, and he will be talking a little bit about the experience of a CISO and what businesses really should be doing when an incident like this hits. Thank you so much, Paul, for joining me today. And of course, The Move It hack has been rumbling on for a few weeks now. And even today, as we record on the 27th of June, new victims are being reported. Um, This time today, Schneider Electric, which is an industrial control system manufacturer, seems to have become a victim. Um, It really all began earlier in um, July with BBC, British Airways and Boots, who were the first victims um, to be named publicly. So Paul, Before joining Information Security Forum, um, you were a CISO at a number of large brands. Thinking about MoveIt, what would you have expected the immediate response from CISOs at the companies that have been named to be acting and how businesses should be managing this situation?
4: Well, first of all, It's it's the right thing to do to uh, empathise with the the victims of these uh, unfortunate breaches. Uh, 2023 shows no sign of, of, of that letting up. Uh, and it's a great question so you know what 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 would i do i think the trick with uh, with an event that grabs the attention of the mainstream media but this obviously applies to to all breach events is to is to have an answer ready for your senior leaders because it's inevitable that the question is going to come your way sometimes it's good to g- even just have the we've got this answer in your back pocket for when you do get asked because that that drives the confidence but everybody approaches it in a different way but the obvious questions you're going to ask are so as a supplier and a piece of software are we using it if so where are we using it what business processes are being impacted at skip level what data are we talking about are the legal and regulatory overheads? so you're starting to build a bit of a picture of the likely impact and the blast radius that you're you're dealing with if the answer is yes the software is used in our estate then you're taking a slightly different tack and this is when you're you're tuning into uh, the, the ramblings of threat intelligence and also of the, of the vendors in question what do we need to be looking for? What are the indicators of compromise? What are the tools and techniques being used to exploit the vulnerability? And you're scanning your estate for signs of compromise. At some point, if you do unfortunately find that uh, you do have signs of compromise, then you're moving into the, the incident response mode. And, uh, you know, we, we could we could dive into that detail. But uh, obviously, I would like to think that everybody has a tried and tested plan for their incident response. And if you don't, you need to be doing that pretty soon. And that includes things now like getting your, your media and, and comms teams involved, your legal counsel involved, just so that you can be on the front foot and the confidence that you're providing your senior leaders, you're also ready to provide with your customers and uh, and and downstream suppliers if that applies to you as, as well. And I guess just one more thing, Beth, you know, it, it's easy to ask the question, are we using it? And maybe we can come onto this a little bit later on. The more difficult question is, are our suppliers using this? Now, the payroll bureau who were implicated in this hack right at the start is a great example of that. You know, did those organisations that lost their data as a consequence of the supply breach have any idea that they were potentially implicated? Because there's a latency there. And it's an unfair question to ask because, you know, most of us would have little or no clue what our suppliers are using to deliver a service that goes into a depth of supply chain assurance that, you know, some of us are still on step one, not step ninety one.
0: Yeah, certainly. And I guess all of that goes for companies that may not have been publicly named, may not know whether they're actually affected just yet. They should be monitoring their network, seeing, uh, like you said, whether they do use this piece of software, putting those plans into place, I guess, just in case, because it does seem to be name after name is dropping day after day
4: yeah well to so the bad news is here this is this is a sort of breach event that's going to keep on giving the one thing i I always say this and i and, and i kind of yeah you know, chastise myself for saying it is you can't help but admire the innovativeness of some of these threat actors you know why go from victim to victim trying to monetize your tradecraft you know if you can go after a big supplier That immediately unlocks access to multiple downstream potential victims well I mean you know you don't need to be an economist or a commercial person to know that that's the thing to do and that's exactly what's happening here and what's happened here with this this particular uh, weakness is we've unlocked the door to many many organizations that that have indirectly become a victim of this and that's the danger that that, that you have so you, you may not even appreciate that you're a victim until you get approached by the threat actor holding out their hand and asking for money Uh, and then at which point you're faced with some very difficult decisions now it's easy for me to say this but my advice to anybody would be do not pay And do not engage all you're doing is just stimulating you're feeding the beast by doing that now that's as i said uh, and i reiterate very easy for me to say that the easy out if you have no chart path of recourse there's obviously a temptation to pay that but if we don't break this cycle this problem is going to prevail and prevail and prevail and the other thing to bear in mind and we do see this from time to time with big breach events is that uh, scammers will will jump on the bandwagon and they'll start contacting organisations pretending to be the threat actor that's got your data. You don't even know who you're dealing with. The best course of action is to turn in on yourself, pick up your incident response plans and just start thinking about how you're going to protect your interests rather than, than navigate with these um, threat actors.
0: Given that this is such a far-reaching breach. Is there a different level of support for organisations out there than if it was a one-off breach in terms of that not paying? Obviously, that in the UK, the NCSC is aware of the situation and is likely supporting those organisations. So, does it increase the level of support that these companies will be getting?
4: well you know kudos to the national cyber security center and in the united kingdom they're, they're going from strength to strength in terms of supporting um private sector and public sector when events like this take place and um, there's only so much that, that that you can control from a central focal point if a product or service has a prevalence in the marketplace then the blast radius is likely to be very very significant and, and you know, I I worry about that, you know, for myself uh, as a as a practitioner and for my members as a as a an analyst at the Information Security Forum. I think organisations need to be thinking about their own interests. now. What level of support is provided? You know, that's that's a conversation for where this started in terms of how the vulnerability can be mitigated. Security researchers are, are great in terms of piling and offering their support. I think the answer, Beth, really is it it, it depends. I mean, it would be nice. If the economies of scale were there, that the, the reciprocal support was also higher. The world just doesn't really operate like that. And I always come back to the advice that I give our members. It's have a plan. Think about your own interests. Think about your own impact and, and just be in a situation where you can survive personally from an extinction level attack, which is the worst case scenario, of course. But in all terms, try to be in a situation where, you, you, you know, you're not going to get breached in the first place. That would be great, wouldn't it? although I think it's now always a case of when, not if. That's the, the sad reality of the world we live in. But it's being able to detect something quickly, limit the damage and get yourself back to a path of recoverability whilst managing the transparency and the confidences of your customers and, and your regulators as well to, to keep everybody ha- happy. If I can, you know, hold my fingers in the air and treat that as a quote because nobody's happy. So, yeah, it's, it's a really difficult one, one to answer. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't want to speak for the for the the, the vendor at the heart of all of this. Um, we are where we are. Um, I think organisations just need to be thinking about looking after their own interests, really.
0: And you kind of touched on the fact that this is a supply chain case. And I think it's a conversation cybersecurity is having, which is how do we protect against these supply chain vulnerabilities? So it might be a little too early to think about lessons learned. But is there an element of we could have done this or we should have done this? Or is it one of those cases that it just was inevitable that something like this was going to happen?
4: Look, you know, in an ideal world, we would we would have pristine, zero vulnerability, zero defect uh, pieces of software and services and so, on and so forth. And we'd never have to worry about all of this. The reality of it is, is we don't live in a perfect world. Where has cybersecurity fallen short in the context of this? I don't think they have. I think we know and we understand that this is a, a, a threat that is existential and prevailing. We we have threat actors who are very innovative. They're changing tack. As new technologies step up, they're leveraging them to, uh, to, to change the spectrum and range of attack paths that they follow. I think what organizations need to be doing is shortening the gap between identification, notification, and response, you know, limiting that bl- last radius, containing the damage and recovering. And I guess what that means, Beth, is we are now talking about organizations having a level of resiliency that means that they can roll with these punches. The importance of good supply chains, uh, you know, the magazine has talked about this, I've talked about this, the Information Security Forum has talked about this and has numerous tools and papers on this subject. You need to understand the enumeration. You know, what are you using? How are you using it? Where are you using it? You know have a good close eye on suppliers who are in the middle of your mission critical activities handling your sensitive regulated data make sure you're regularly assuring what it is they do for you hold them to account have good contracts with decent security schedules in place have regular reviews and monitor those suppliers for any incidents that could affect you you know it's incumbent on you to be on the front foot and that means that yes you do need to be looking at threat intelligence you do need to be keeping a very keen eye and being situationally aware of what's going on around you but most importantly you need to have a plan to react if something unforeseen and adverse happens to your organization. We're always running to standstill here but I think in this instance the response was not something that we could have predicted. It's unfortunate that such a popular vendor and product has been targeted and that's clear from as you say from day to day we're seeing more and more victims being named and getting involved in this. That's the challenges of a big blast radius with a very popular product and none of us could have predicted that.
0: Great. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Paul. Some real good advice there for senior leaders, CISOs, and kind of comforting in a way to know that this wasn't something that was completely avoidable within the industry. Um, But thank you so much. No problem. You're very welcome. So thanks to Paul and some great advice from an experienced CISO there. And I think it was quite personal what he said at the end where Cybersecurity hasn't necessarily fallen short in this case. It was something that was almost unavoidable. Um, Kevin, any final thoughts before we sign off of this bumper edition?
1: this attack makes me uh, uh, think of uh, something that we've covered extensively on on the website, on the InfoSecurity Magazine website, is that in every conference we go to, in every uh, discussion we have with uh, cybersecurity practitioners over the past few months, everyone tends to speak about cyber resilience now more than cyber protection or cybersecurity, and this actually this one, but also like the previous one, the Solar SolarWinds at attack or, or any other supply chain attacks that has been happening over the past few months. It really shows us that cyber resilience is key because you're going to be hit. And these, as you said, there's not really anyone to blame here. It's it's just um, it's just something that happened, and uh, it was actually the as as we covered as we said the progress. They responded very very quickly, but you're gonna get breached anyway, and it's gonna happen. So what re- what really what is really important now is how are you gonna remediate.
0: Yeah, 100 percent. That resiliency uh, piece and kind of what Paul talked about, having a uh, incident response plan in place. You know what you're doing. You know who to get involved in these incidents. He spoke about general counsel, getting HR and communications involved as well. It's just really important to have those response plans because these supply chain attacks, they're just easier for the threat actors to carry out why would you go after big organizations that are likely to have quite good cybersecurity in place when you can go in through the back door so unfortunately i do think this is something we're going to see more and more of and it is a bit of a head scratcher in terms of how do you prevent it but having a solid response is really key so thank you to all of our guests for highlighting the Move It attacks, uh, what's happened over the last few weeks. As I said at the beginning, we're likely to see a lot more um, come out relating to this, and unfortunately, more victims will be named. So we do hope that everyone in the security teams at those organisations is are doing well at this time, because it is highly stressful. And for our listeners, I hope you leave this episode feeling more informed about the Move It incident. Finally, for more news and updates on this and other cybersecurity incidents, make sure you head to the InfoSecurity Magazine website. But for now, bye all, and we look forward to speaking to you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the InfoSecurity Magazine podcast. For in-depth interviews with the industry's leading experts, check out our sister podcast, where we sit down with a cybersecurity expert to discuss the hottest topics of the day and their personal journey into cybersecurity. And of course, for more news, analysis, and expert insight, head to the InfoSecurity Magazine website at infosecurity magazine.com.